and she feels so different that she questions whether or not she may be adopted because parents just don't understand. Yeah. (laughs) Except her parents really don't because these aren't your typical growing pains that Mia is going through. No, these are a bit more aquatic in nature because Mia is slowly becoming a mermaid. And this transformation includes gills, a tail and a hankering for raw fish. Yeah. But not like sushi, like live. Yeah. Like her pet. (laughs) Like a pet. Yeah. Like, was alive two seconds ago and is now in your stomach. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm Gabe. And I'm Kat. And we're the, the Cools Next, Next Door. Door. Talk about spooky stuff like puberty. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and the indoctrination of young girls to be subservient to the patriarchy. That's Always. What's in my section, so it's fun. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. So we are the Ghouls Next Door, the media analysis and literacy show from a horror lens where we explore the real life historical biological reasonings behind our cinematic fears and uh today we're talking about another mermaid film yeah who knew we would do like two in a span of months yeah so you're welcome we love mermaids now we are mermaids as you can tell yeah i i do love mermaids now yeah, I think I did before too. I just hate the ocean. Like, not hate as in I don't want it to be happy, but I want it to be separate from myself. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So I like I mermaids like from a distance. You like the idea of mermaids for somebody else. Like, yeah. I love that for you and yeah. not me. But I don't want to know what's at the bottom of the ocean. So, like, it's not a victory if I get to just go disappear into the ocean forever. But today's episode is specifically about puberty and mermaids. So, like, the last time we talked about mermaids was with the lore, and it was a fun Polish musical that was more about also your identity, um, mm-hmm. but also love and romance and being young in that way. Um, in kind of redefining or discovering who you are and, and yeah. that empowerment with that. And that just, that's kind of what happens here. Um, <laughs> there's definitely yeah. an exploration of identity and figuring yourself out. Um, what we found a lot in Monstrous Femme is that it's a lot of the times puberty related. Yeah. And spoilers for my section, it's usually saying similar stuff, um, which is why I've been trying to switch it up these last few episodes. Cause I'm like, I can't just say the same thing every time. I'm like, it can't be just the other. I mean, it is every time, but like, I need to yeah. say other things too. <laughs> Otherwise, this is the longest series we've ever done. <laughs> I mean, it really does feel like that sometimes because it yeah. is a lot of similar thoughts. Um, and I make like three different comparisons to other films in my section when we get to it. Um, but we're talking about the film Blew My Mind, which despite its its title, which... There's a dog outside. Okay. Uh, despite its title, it is not funny. It's not for fun. It is like you read "Blew My Mind," and I think like, You're like it would puns. be yeah uh-huh. ironic or something. And it's not. It takes itself very seriously, and I feel like it's rude. I feel like the title is rude. 
Yeah, because it's like a serious film that's exploring like big things to have yeah. such a silly name. It makes I get it really uncomfortable. Um, yeah, and it was such an interesting find. It was on our list for some reason, and then it just happened to fit with what we wanted to do. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is a different type of monstrous femme than we're used to, um, which is exciting because, you know, you usually get like werewolves, vampires suck you by that kind of stuff yeah like mermaids um and like the lore they were mermaids but i would say they're more sirens than anything mm-hmm. like because it was musical based um so this is like it's different like she's like the little mermaid a little more than she's like the little mermaid she's not she's not entirely it's the reverse like, you know. it's like the reverse instead of wanting to be who other people are she's like i really hate people and i want to leave them forever <laughs> Except for yeah. her one friend that she wishes she could take with her, but yeah, is what it is. She's like people don't. I've been here for all of thirteen years, and people don't get me yet, so I give up, which is just not a positive. <laughs> it's not positive. So we're going to talk about that because there <laughs> still has a lot of like interesting promises and goes into some things that I really valued, and then um, let me down. Yeah, I think it had like victories and losses throughout. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> No, I agree. <laughs> yeah, where you're like, yeah, I get it. But also, like, why? But okay, I see. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> we're real close to something that would have been cool. Uh, no, yeah. we're not going to do that, though? Okay. Fun, <laughs> fun movie. Fun movie I of emotion. I think I was very, at the end, I was like, what am I, I was like. What have we learned here? I was angry, yeah. I was like, what did I learn? What did I take away from this? And I'm mad about what it is that I can take away from it. Um, Mm. So if you've seen this film and you have different thoughts, uh, definitely let us know. Remember to like and subscribe. But why don't we hop in? Do it. Let's get into this film. Um, So let me tell you about Blue My Mind. This is a film from 2018, um, which is exciting. It was somewhat recent. It was pre-pandemic time where everything is possible. Uh, oh, so Blew My Mind is about a seemingly normal teenage girl faces overwhelming body transformations that put her existence into question. And it's directed by Lisa Broman. And it is a ride. It's like a time. It's like it takes its time with the situations that are happening. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel like I didn't feel overwhelmed or underwhelmed most of the time. I was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. That was fine. Um, so Blew My Mind is a typical coming-of-age story about a young girl who tries to find her tribe. Uh, she dabbles in shoplifting, she kisses boys and girls, and she feels so different that she questions whether or not she may be adopted. Because <laughs> parents just don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Except her parents really don't, because these aren't your typical growing pains that Mia is going through. No, these are a bit more aquatic in nature because Mia is slowly becoming a mermaid. And this transformation includes gills, a tail, and a hankering for raw fish. Yeah, but not like sushi, like live. Yeah, like her pet. <laughs> like a pet. Yeah, like was alive two seconds ago and is now in your stomach. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this film reminded me a bit of the coming of age film starring Evan Rachel Wood titled 13. And mm. that film really shook me as a young girl because I identified really strongly with Evan's character um, who was this like outsider who grew up like incredibly close with her mom. And then like in trying to like rebel and like find her own way uh becomes fixated on this other girl and tries questionable dangerous things to fit in um Mm. and i don't know if mia's story 
would be as impactful to young girls as 13 was for like girls like me, but it does feature a lot of the same tropes and so could very easily um, be impactful for young girls. I just don't know if that's the intended audience, you know, like, yeah. um, or if it really is like us looking back and <laughs> thinking like, wow, that was a wild time. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and it's another thing is that I do not think it's specifically about puberty either. I think there's a lot of uh, elements to this film outside of just puberty that mm -hmm. make it even more interesting when you think about its audience. So, um, in this story, Mia is a new girl at school, and she's looking to belong. So she falls into a clique of cool girls who talk about giving their boyfriends blowjobs, play choking games, and skip school to drink wine coolers, as you're one to do as a young person. Um, I do remember the choking game. Like, I didn't play them. I remember hearing about when that happened, and I think I was, like, either in high school or going into college, and it was, yeah. like, a thing where kids were like choking themselves to faint and that's how they got high and my mom was if like, i remember in my childhood maybe i would remember that but I don't <laughs> remember it i'm not high school middle school yeah time. there was a time in which like i was just like i'm gone mentally <laughs> uh, and then i came back and i was an adult and i was like whoa so i believe that probably was a thing also <laughs> so mia fits in pretty well like immediately because she's a pretty cool girl to herself Mm -hmm. Like, she wasn't, like, a nerd that didn't fit in. Like, she just was new. <laughs> like, that's really what it was going on for her. Um, and she begins to grow close with these other girls, um, specifically one of them, Gianna, who just happens to be the epitome of cool girl. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, a moment where Mia and Gina, Gianna uh, share a kiss. And it, mm -hmm. more than a few lingering stares. And they also endure some dangerous situations from uh, Gianna almost dying by drowning uh, and Mia getting into a very uncomfortable situation at a party, which I'll talk yeah. about later. Um, and they help each other through it and bond over a lot of things, which is really, I felt like I wanted more of that relationship. Yeah. Um, but it kind of seemed like second fiddle. So she's becoming a mermaid she's <laughs> like totally fair totally fair um this film features some truly uncomfortable and horrifying things um some of those horrifying things are the special effects of mia's transformation such as her gills or when she tried to cut the skin between her toes that had begun to web like that stuff was really gross yeah and uh, it's just like very squeamish you're just like Ugh. yeah um, but other horror in this film is more situational such as young mia meeting with an older man from a dating app at a hotel um <laughs> it's super uncomfortable uh i did value that her friends like their acquaintances like they're not really friends yet but they yeah. waited they stayed like they yeah. didn't talk her out of it which is like that's rough um, yeah. but they did at least have some wherewithal to know that like <laughs> this is not a good situation for her to just be alone in yeah um and it's one of many scenes that are just like this where you see mia making very questionable decisions where she's literally just trying to find herself and the way to do that is to use her body and figure it out um which is sad but i think like, I know I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, each piece of her transformation feels like a represent representation 
for something bigger, for a challenge young and grown girls work to overcome. And in an article on Variety titled Blew My Mind Review, Promising Coming-of-Age Body Horror Debut by Jessica, Jessica Kiang, uh, they explain the dichotomous, monstrous transformation that mirrors real-world challenges for young girls. So from her impulsive eating of the pet fish, she gulps down a glass of wa salt water, a trick bulimia sufferers use to induce vom vomiting, which makes me think of Melanie Martinez's orange juice song. Um, <laughs> she lashes out at her mother with a physical force that she doesn't seem to know she has. She develops a sudden awareness of a physical abnormality that her doctor insists she must have had since birth, which gives me really strong body dysmorphia vibes. Yeah. Um, if she did actually have these things since birth and just like doesn't associate it with herself. Um, and she cuts away at herself in a way that explicitly evokes self-harm. So there's a lot of layers to her experience that can be very easily translated to uh, real issues that young girls are facing. Uh -huh. um, specifically in our relationship to our body and at such a, a delicate time when it is changing and doesn't look like what we had grown so used to. And also, as we've mentioned quite a few times, <laughs> specifically in this series, um, you start to learn that it isn't really yours anymore um, and that other people feel like it belongs to them. Yeah. And I guess like also like not feeling, ooh, <laughs> not feeling like home in their body, like feeling like it maybe isn't the right body for them, et cetera. Uh, yeah. There's lots of things there. Cause it's like changing. And I think like specifically um, puberty can be a really triggering moment for people who have body dysmorphia, because those are like these confirmations of being in the wrong body. Mm -hmm. Whereas like before that, we're all kind of like, we're kind of like gender neutral to a degree. Like the, the parts that define what, society sees as gender aren't happening yeah like before puberty you know like ladies don't have their breasts yet or like you don't have hair in certain places yeah the hormones have not activated to push you in a direction that you don't want to be yeah so like once you're like in the middle of puberty it could be really triggering if you are if you understand that this isn't the body that you see yourself as having mm -hmm. or wanting or feeling at home in and so it's like you're forced into that and that's like so it, it can be monstrousized like your mm -hmm. body is a monster at that point it's becoming this thing this creature um that isn't anything that you had expected or wanted and people don't seem to understand and that could be a whole layer of why um her because like on the surface when you're watching the film like her parents don't understand and I think that's super weird and they're not acknowledging like her her cries for attention and like regarding am I adopted or not like she gets really because she's like there's no way that you don't know about me being a mermaid and are also my parents like yeah <laughs> it doesn't make any sense but like if you think about people who might not feel comfortable in their body or are in this wrong body they might have a similar thing too where it's just like this is so insane like why is no one acknowledging yeah how absurd this tra transformation is and it, sometimes it's not actually like you're growing a tail um <laughs> you're just Grown the parts you didn't want to grow. Um, and so Mia, Mia clearly feels alien in her own skin, and she fights to remove the abnormalities, the changes in her body that set her apart from the image of a, a girl that she is trying to perform uh -huh. this whole time. And she hides these changes and concerns, even from Gianna, in fear of rejection. Yeah. Um, she needs 
Gianna to see her and to care for her because that's literally the only person who really does. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, even when things get really, really hairy and scary, um, she, scaly, uh, <laughs> she keeps that from Gianna, which is pretty detrimental at some point. But beyond the, the horrors of the mermaid transformation, we do have this young girl who is struggling to figure out who she is. And she clearly gets no love and support at home. Yeah. She is abusive towards her mother and uncaring towards her father. And while both of them treat her like a stranger in her own home, uh, at other times they treat her they treat her like a lion in a cage. Yeah. Um, they don't know what to do with her, and uh, instead of trying to figure that out, they just ignore it. Which is not how you deal with that. Um, And the only moments that she really gets to explore herself are the soft, intimate, and quiet moments that she has with Gianna. And when the girls the other girls are gone and it's just the two of them, they can confide in one another. Um, They swap childhood trauma, which helps them to shape their current actions and needs for attention. Um, But even that relationship isn't enough. And Mia continues to hide her changing body and concerns from Gianna and instead lashes out at the world by putting her own body at risk. And um, spoilers for the rest of this. (laughs) Um, Spoilers, because the ending is really uh, quite, it is why, like, it's so hard to talk about this film, um, yeah. because I think it was doing a really great job until the ending, and then I was like, what are we doing? So in a really, truly harrowing, unsettling, and stomach-turning scene that we quite honestly could have done without, um, at least, like, the extent to which it Continued, happens, yeah. We could have inferred. We are smart. Yeah. Um, But Mia finds herself at an adult party full of predatory men. And in her attempt to feel something and to have and simultaneously release control, she falls into their hands and is sexually assaulted by many men at once. Yeah. Um, And it's disgusting. Uh, It did remind me a little bit of of Thelma. Okay. The film that we um, watched during Queer Horror about a girl who had like... um, telekinesis yes yes yes. um and uh she's she was in similar like situations where she was not in control and you didn't know what was happening yeah specifically sexually um not to this degree though um but she is saved by gianna and this spurs her even further into her depression and misery resulting in a final transformation that leaves mia with an enormous mermaid tail and a flooded apartment yeah um or house i don't really know how this is like uh switzerland or something sweden maybe one of those yeah i think it's just an apartment um, yeah so in the same article by kyung uh they expressed disappointment in the ending of a film that for a bulk of its running time had some promise and they say the demons of adolescence that so much of the imagery evokes are powerful and dangerous because they are imaginary anorexia negative body image self-harm and the joyless promiscuity and sexual degradation that mia pursues are the kinds of heartbreaking punishments that young girls inflict on their bodies for differing in ways that often only they perceive from some notional notional ideal of womanly perfection everybody feels like a freak at this age and it doesn't seem an especially helpful conclusion to have the story confirm that freakishness and to suggest that the solution for mia is self-imposed exile from the people who however distractedly love her 
Having created a striking and potent allegory and blew my mind and explored it with grace, seriousness, and exceptional craft, Brulman doesn't seem to know quite what to do with it by the end, except to suggest that the cost of self-acceptance is vast, eternal, oceanic loneliness. And I think for all the metaphors and grappling, sexuality, body image, and identity, um, it left me terribly upset in the end because I found myself asking what we're learning from this film where the lore left us with a cautionary tale of love, blew my mind left us with melancholic resignation. Uh, when Mia resi uh, decides to enter the sea, <laughs> that's what she does. She has this tale. She's like, I'm too different to exist here. I have to go be alone in the sea. And it was really upsetting because I was like, you don't know other mermaids. Like the ocean is huge. Yeah. The oceans are huge. You don't speak fish. Like what it like what it like you are like condemning yourself to be alone forever. And like you're leaving the one person that cares about you. You haven't really told your parents anything. So they just have a flooded apartment and you're just gone. And so it's really stressful to like see her go through all that, grapple with who she is, and then she'll just give up and come to this conclusion that like if you're different, you should leave you should go yeah. away there was also like this uh hint that after reading that article about lore that really resonated with me and that like if this character like if the mermaid exists possibly as a coding for the trans identity experience and thinking of how many trans teens kill themselves mm. um that the going into the ocean could also represent that which is like really devastating as well yeah and um, it, yeah it's and i mean it was just so hopeless and traumatizing, especially after we as an audience have endured so much alongside mm -hmm. Mia and like a lot of the very problem, like you really feel for her. Like she is putting mm -hmm. herself in a lot of dangerous situations and she really does feel alone. And she has this one friend and that's what it's like. Cause Gianna's there with her. So if it is, is like, you know, an analogy for unaliving yourself, then Gianna is complicit in that action, which just makes me think of the the girl who like texted her boyfriend and told him to like mm. unalive himself. Um and then he did. And yeah. then she was in court because yeah. you're complicit in that. So that's like even more upsetting. Like that and imagine how Gianna feels to feel like I'm not enough. Yeah. Like there's so many levels to that, but um, I just really feel like she just felt like she was like, if you're different, the only answer is to be outcasts and that no one can love us when we are this way and mm -hmm. that we can't even give them a chance. Yeah. It was a really devastating ending that really like threw the plot away. I would agree. Like, it's just, you are landing in this space that, you don't really get any resolve. And I mean, true, life sometimes does that. But mm -hmm. I don't know. It just seemed like there was just so much chaos and pain that took place through the entire sequence of that film that I, I don't know what a better ending would have been. Um, but uh, specifically because it was like a mermaid transformation. So I, like, I don't know what the solution would have been, but it was definitely like, it ended really devastatingly. And where like, you don't feel like, a good thing happened you don't feel like yeah. she like won she, there was any kind of resolve if anything it was just like all that neglect and um like 
other people perceiving you as if you don't matter is accurate. So just go into the ocean forever. Yeah. Um, Help them by removing yeah, yourself disappearing. From this equation. Yeah. Which is such like a problematic and upsetting. Yeah. And if this, um, if their intended audience is young girls who, or, or young people who are going through similar experiences of any, like any of those things that we named, like bulimia, anorexia, body dysmorphia, um, depression, or just like, you know, trans identity, even any of those things. Like if you're experiencing that, neglect. Yeah. And then you <laughs> see this film. Yeah. It doesn't provide you with like a solution for yourself. And I, that's why I agree. I think it was a film that was intended for adults, maybe looking back on their life experiences, just because I feel like there were a lot of sequences in there where like, while we could admit that teenagers do sometimes engage in sexual behavior, mm-hmm. uh, that like, there were a lot of very graphically violent things that happened that like I would hope that we wouldn't be showing to young teenagers. Yeah. Like um, an encouraging in any way. Like it wasn't ever made to be a positive, I yeah. would say, but it's still yeah, I mean, this isn't euphoria, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> like euphoria is so very obvious about being like this is like it's a it's excessive, but it's here to be negative like you're not supposed to be be like i want to do this too (laughs) here this makes you afraid of children and to second guess if you really need that aspirin for this headache like you know yeah i don't know (laughs) yeah it's very uh gen z and it's like the world is in fire and dying so let's do drugs maybe yeah Yeah. i haven't watched enough of euphoria to have strong opinions or know enough about it um but that was my guess good job (laughs) of what it's about oh my god but yeah i totally agree like it was a really devastating ending that like didn't leave you with anything overtly concrete to take away with you where you're just like all right well (laughs) i'm bummed thanks uh but yeah i don't know this film did surprise me and like there were lots of things i did really like about it so that was cool um like i ended up enjoying it more than i expected up until like the end yeah i also Um, enjoyed it um and even in the end, it was just like, I was like, what? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I did end up liking this film more than I expected, albeit the ending. Uh, but what really resonated with me about this film uh, was, like, the horrific way puberty and neglect intertwine that was very relatable. Um and I'm in this section, I'm going to give way too much information about my own middle school slash puberty experience um, that maybe I'm just going to say, like, Mom, don't listen to this one because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's from the before time and you don't want to know. Um, but, yeah, so, like, neglect and puberty intertwined in such a way that I haven't seen in a lot of other films. Like, uh, I've seen, like, neglect portrayed on screen but this is like very visceral and like very upsetting and the parents were just like entirely unpresent outside of like seeking to discipline her mm-hmm. uh while like and like based on the like the call at the end like clearly there was like some level of love yeah. but like it was faint and like intention doesn't matter so much if your impact is horrible so they just aren't doing a great job um and, you know, there was just so much disconnect in understanding that also really resonated with me. And, like, there was, they just didn't understand their child. Uh, and that that just trans, like, that specific understanding disconnect is, like, what made the storytelling so powerful, but also, like, made her so relatable. 
Um, because there's so much fear that came with that. And ultimately like that fear translated into Mia making horrible and very mm-hmm. dangerous decisions. Um, also like middle such high school is such a rough time to relocate uh, mm-hmm. a child, like uproot them and just place them in a new environment with literally like no padding. Like they didn't prep her. They didn't like make sure she was good. They're just mm-hmm. like, you need to adjust immediately. There's not really a choice in the matter. Uh, and it's fail or fly. Uh, yeah. We are tossing you out of a nest and you will either hit the ground or like you will train you first. Um, so like they really prepared her none. Um, and I know like from like my own familial history, that's something that happened to my mom. that was really traumatic for her. She associates that as something that was like a defining moment for her, um, being like uprooted in high school and middle school to like start fresh. Uh, so it's like a really traumatic thing for a teenager to go through is basically what I was trying to say there. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's just so much lack of communication around these changes that they were going through that also just felt so familiar as I experienced something very similar in that, like my pre puberty talk was like, did you learn about it at school? (laughs) Yes. Do you have any questions? No. And then it was literally never talked about again. And that was the vibe that I got from this film where they're like, they asked her if she was cool once and then never did again. And we're like, you're, you got it. Go ahead. And if you don't got it, like, we're not going to help. We're just going to yell at you. It's also Um, crazy that the doctor did not call parents mm, when she was very clearly sick. Yes. Um, Yeah. So like Gabe, you said you're like, just the only comment I got is my favorite talk was like, don't get pregnant. And I was like, I don't even know what would go into that. So yeah, (laughs) we're probably fine. I don't even know what would make that happen. Um, So like, like very likely I won't. Um, But I relate heavily to the ambiguity surrounding whether or not their experience was normal, specifically the doctor scene. Like I was dying. Like I was like yelling at the, (laughs) Uh, just because like I related to that so much because it's like, you don't really go to the doctor unless you need to sometimes like some people like me specifically, I was like, I would just kind of like handle things Mm -hmm. until a doctor would be brought in or (laughs) like it was deemed necessary to do so. And like they did nothing. And I felt very similarly in my like puberty experience where I was like, Hey, I feel like something's wrong. And they're like, no, yeah, (laughs) you're fine. It was kind of like the movie with the werewolves. Ginger snaps. Ginger snaps, yeah. Where she's like, I am bleeding a lot. And she's like, it's just normal. It's, it's a normal. heavy flow. <laughs> Gushing is fine. Yeah. Nothing to stress about. We're not going to tell your family. It's fine. Um, but yeah, so it's just like, so she was so scared of not being normal. And that was also super relatable. Uh, and just like that they handled it however they could. So I'm going to get into my childhood upbringing. So this is probably too much information about my childhood uh, that may be better suited for a therapy session, but we need to fill time. So um, <laughs> while I didn't transform into a mermaid during puberty, I think I handled it pretty, pretty similar to me how Mia did in the film, except the main difference was that I was not cool. Um, I didn't have any cool bones in my body. And so like my rebellion phase was very lackluster in that I was just like really lame. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and while like there were lots of pieces of this where like I tried to be cool, um, I basically like just didn't understand social cues. So my rebellious phase was just like questionable things on AOL chat rooms 
uh, where like I pretended to be other people and like an adult mm-hmm. in AOL chat rooms or they're like, who's the kids in AOL chat rooms? It was me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like writing like really honest Zanga. I don't know if you remember Zanga Mm-mm. statuses. It was like fancy blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like MySpace essentially. But I also like stayed in the same town, which probably was for my benefit, but my entire school experience, I never like left where I was. So when I hit puberty, I didn't get to like reinvent myself like Mia did. Mm-hmm. Um, every single person that I knew remembered viscerally that I had pretended to be Donnie from the Wild Thornberries for like a significant chunk of time. So I didn't get to be like, I'm hot now. And everyone wants to kiss me. It was like, no, you pretended to be a wild boy from the jungle. So in elementary school, though. Yeah, but like late. It was like too late in elementary school for it to like for people remembered. Gotcha. I was really weird. I was really weird. Um, But I'd say like, like Mia, I didn't know how to explain myself when it came to my puberty experience, as well as just like my general life experience. I also thought I was adopted Uh, uh, because me and my parents were just so different. As you said, like parents just don't get it. Like Mm -hmm. it was like that, but like also fun neglect times Um, because they were children and it's not their fault. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And good news, it's better now. So, but whenever I was going through a thing like Mia, I was just like, I'm going to handle it. Don't worry. (laughs) And it's totally fine. No one's going to find out unless like something bad happens. So um, I also thought I was an alien or a mermaid or a monstrous person. So that was a fun time. Um, And I think that's largely because I was undiagnosed autistic for the majority of my youth. Uh, But at the same time as I was very convinced I was from somewhere else that like one day I would venture into the ocean. I didn't want to go to the ocean specifically, but I was like, someone's going to come get me Mm -hmm. and it's going to be cool. And like everything here is not going to be real. And was that probably a coping mechanism? Yes. But (laughs) I was just like, it'd be cool um, if I got to just go somewhere else. And then all of this was different, but spoilers about my life. I didn't get to go in the ocean. Um, I just stayed. So it was like, I flooded my parents' apartment and then just had to like deal with the consequences of that. Um, but the good part is that the version of my life I have now is positive. So spoilers for my life. I did it. We're good. Everyone's yeah. happy. But all, ultimately all that to say is that I related to this film very heavily. Um, but let's talk about monstrous things. Uh, I found or Gabe found a really cool article, which I'm going to talk about later. Um, but I got the bulk of my information from, Um, And it's essentially about the duality of the monstrous feminine mermaid in being the representation of denying societal standards and expectations, as well as the embrace of those expectations, which is pretty interesting uh, because it just like existed as this duality and that that transition has happened very recently. So I'm going to be talking about the mermaid Miranda, um, which is the mermaid is a monstrous femme. Well, it is very complex uh, and has been, it has been represented very vastly different across all sorts of media. Um, and the mermaid has been portrayed as the embodiment of sexual freedom and allure, monstrous violence, defiance of the patriarchy, as well as like gender norms. And on the opposite end, purity, naivety, as well as living up to patriarchal, patriarchal standards and expectations uh, in the formation of the Miranda. So as I said, Gabe found this article for me, which outlined how this transition took place. And in comparing the tales of the mermaid to the Miranda from Shakespeare's The Tempest, uh, we get like a more 
clear understanding. Now, I haven't read The Tempest, uh, but I did do some reading about the play and found on No Sweat Shakespeare, which describes Miranda's character as a living representation of female virtue. She is typically viewed as having internalized and patriarchal as having internalized the patriarchal order of things and sees herself as subordinate to her father. She is kind and loving and compassionate in addition to be the, being obedient to her father and is seen as like the perfect and fearless created of every creature's best. Uh, like she is the embodiment of what the patriarchy wants women mm. to be. Um, with this understanding that the Miranda is a representation of the patriarchal view of the ideal woman, um, she exists as a stark contrast to what the mermaid in the past has represented. Um, the lore surrounding mermaids was largely positioned, largely positioned them as like a threat to humans that ventured into the water or unfamiliar water specifically, as well as like a sexually aggressive and autonomous creature um, that represented like power and freedom. And in many ways, the lore surrounding the mermaid existed as like a threat to the patriarchal values uh, instead of a reinforcement of them. So in the past two decades specifically, the view of the mermaid has transitioned into something else, uh, specifically less monstrous and more concerning. Tying this back to the article I mentioned before that Gabe shared with me, their entire argument follows this idea. The paper is titled Of Tales and Tempest, Feminine Sexuality and Shakespearean Children's Texts by Erica Haightley of Monash University. And they go on to say, if mermaids have long represented the competition between sexuality and spirituality within the feminine, Mirandas have represented the competition between autonomy and familial obligation. So while they have previously existed as opposites, in the last two decades, these two characters have essentially merged uh, to this mermaid Miranda figure, specifically in children's texts, um, seemingly with the goal of emulating behavioral ideals for young girls, using the mermaid Miranda as a model that conveys their obligation uh, to like hearing to patriarchal values. So they go on to say, the ambiguities legible in both the mer mermaid and the Miranda figures are potentially challenging to patriarchal culture in that the mermaid traditionally represents a model of autonomous and devouring feminine sexuality. Um, and Miranda use value for social cohesion is only as great as her willingness to adhere to the roles of the daughter and wife that are offered to her. Um, as the 19th century project of domesticating mermaids and Miranda's developed, they moved from signifying the task of a male protagonist's sexual desires slash social development into being subjects themselves. However, in more in the move from the margins to the center, or rather from the ocean to land, that ambiguity has been system systematically erased, producing points of identification for the contemporary juvenile female reader that are emphatically there's just so many big words chaste or asexual except within the confines of heteronormative marriage um the contemporary mermaid miranda task is to revolve her sexuality into either absence or regulated presence um the implied girl reader is socialized into a self-regulating identity that is subordinated to patriarchal models of sexuality models that shakespeare himself then seems to authorize. So if we're viewing this with the lens of the ghouls, as we always do, um, in that media is created with the purpose of conveying a message and the intention behind a narrative, specifically this one makes a lot of sense, um, especially when being used in children's literature as writing for children's literature is often done with purpose and instilling value systems. Um, like it makes sense that they would try to push 
young girls to be subservient to the idea that they need to get married, adhere mm-hmm. to nuclear families, ex- Judeo-Christian values, et cetera, et cetera. Um, according to Haley, the use of the mermaid Miranda has transformed the mermaid from the monstrous feminine to the reinforcer of patriarchal values through Disney's The Little Mermaid, as well as Penny Rusin's Undyne. Um, Given these contradictions, it is unsurprising that 19th century writers began producing mermaids for children, especially girl readers, who themselves were made the sites of contradictory codings of sexuality and chastity, knowledge and innocence, and the future virginal maternal. The domestication of Miranda follows a comparable logical trajectory, for if Prospero is the 19th century ideally wise and protective father, Miranda becomes the 19th century's ideally chaste and potentially sexual daughter. Mm-hmm. The storm that gives the play its name, like The Mermaid's Tale, both present, is, pre, is both present and absent. And it has, seeming, it has a seeming reality, yet can have no effect beyond Prospera's intention. So too must the sexuality of Miranda and the, and the adolescent girl be present, but inactive outside of social familial structures. Um, the results being that the message being directed at young girls is problematic uh, and somewhat unsurprising in terms of the ideals we see represented in many children's media in general, specifically Disney, who has recently, until recently, pushed like child brides uh, as a narrative pretty regularly. Yep. Um, and the Monsters Mermaid sanitized to operate as a tool of the patriarchy instead of a fighter against it is essentially not the kind of taking it back that we like to see. Um, if anything, I would have enjoyed... The Little Mermaid just not doing that. But also, like, in this film specifically, uh, I would have enjoyed seeing Mia be a little bit more monstrous, uh, a little less sanitized in that way, um, as a way of taking back some strengths, specifically. Um, instead of eating random fish, it would have been cool if she, like, ate the predatory men that she interacted with. Um, and, I mean, if we're thinking of, like, the Mermaid Miranda and how that's, like, being pushed as well, I mean, we're thinking, like, Ariel, the whole goal is to just get married and have this boy man person marry her and whatever father says it's like i don't know that was random i tied these back together wrong but whatever (laughs) essentially the moral of the story friends uh is that like the monstrous femme of the mermaid used to be really cool in that it was like we're gonna eat men and murder them and all their problems. Uh, and now it is like taking the power from the mermaid and being like, Hey, but like, what if we use this to instead make it so young girls don't want to like be independent and free or like stealing the kind of like identity exploration away from like what it's intended to be. Um, but yeah, that's my thing. Ultimately. Yeah. I wish it made eight people. I think that would have been fun. I feel like if any of these scenes happened and she was like, I'm going to, instead of just dealing with this murder, uh, I don't know if that would have been, would that would have been the cool ending? I don't know. Is that the ending that we missed? I was hoping like the ending I wanted was for her mom to be like, yeah, we're mermaids. (laughs) And that makes us cool. Um, or to be like, yeah, you're adopted, but you're still our kid, and we yeah. love you despite the fact that you're different. Like that's what I was like. I was waiting for the parents to do something, uh, and yeah. they didn't. Or I was waiting for Gianna to be like, I love you anyway. Um, 
it just made it complicated. Like their relationship didn't really get to be explored because it was overshadowed by mm. her becoming a mermaid. Um, and at times it was like, again, like this, the facts were really cool and you, you get a lot of value out of being like squeamish and it definitely feels like a body horror in a lot of ways. The tale is pretty cool. It just takes a very long time to get to that. And I lost a lot of the value, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I definitely see that. I think if there was more of a resolution, specifically in the way that you said, that would have been really positive. And I mean, murder maybe would have been fun too. Um, Either way, I guess like it really did showcase the horrors of puberty and neglect and the way girls are sexualized by society Mm -hmm. in a way that's very like forceful and disgusting um and very like out of the child's control mm -hmm. um in a lot of ways like she was definitely trying to like perform what she thought was the correct way to be um which is why she kept finding like that's why she hooked up with the boy in the first place it was because she was confused by her feelings for gianna and so she has to like reaffirm her heteronormativity by having sex with this boy who's cool and now she can the other girls can be like, oh, my God, are you dating? And it's like, no, it's not that deep. We're 14. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> like, uh, her putting herself in all of those dangerous situations, like, when your body is so out of your control and you feel like this monster within it or this imposter within it, mm. um, sometimes you do bad things to it. Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that a lot. That's the that's the bulk of my drinking years. <laughs> yeah. You just put yourself in harm's way. Yeah. And I totally see that. Like if I didn't have intense stranger danger, I definitely still put myself in a lot of dangerous situations regardless. Um just because it like it's, yeah. I hate the I hate the whole idea of just like so you can feel something. But that really is it and like neglect and just not <laughs> We come from a generation, like a generation of kids where the parents just didn't want to acknowledge that sexuality has advanced to the way that it had, um, that we were going through puberty much earlier than they had, and that like we needed a lot more constructive, like, yeah boundaries and explanations and they just weren't on board with that because they didn't have that and they didn't think it was. We didn't have enough internet. Is what mm-hmm. I think. I think like we were, we went through puberty just a little too early. Because imagine if we had TikTok. Mm-hmm. I mean, those kids are still struggling. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's not in way any way to belittle their experience. It's just that there's more representation of what identity is, so that it's like maybe easier. Not easier might be not the right word, but like you may have more of an idea, and that's not universal. I mean, there's people who don't have access to the internet and to that extent, or like are like put into a box and are not allowed to see such things Um, in terms of like, you're not allowed to, they have like parental controls Mm -hmm. on their internet or their media that they consume is very censored. And yeah. Yeah. Ultimately to say it's all very intentional by somebody, whether it's the patriarchy directly or parents who aren't doing a good job or are just doing like what they know and not what is actually healthy or good for children i mean who really knows yeah <laughs> uh, we're still, people are still figuring it out um yeah. but i do think i did enjoy this film and i 
would recommend it just as an experience. Um, yeah. And I do think there are some things that it is saying that you can find relatable. And I don't really think you're sp- like, I think the intention was that there isn't a win at the end on purpose. Um, that's super fair. Like sometimes that's okay. To, yeah. Like, cause some people have resulted in that same end uh, to a degree, right? Like it's, yeah. It's not like everyone gets happily like Maybe after. there's a sequel and she comes back. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like maybe there's just like a dark time and you come back and you learn to not run away into the ocean. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I think it would have. Your parents loved you actually. They were just really bad at showing it. I just really wish that she hadn't been so alone. Like I would have really enjoyed yeah. another mermaid being involved in this. Um, oh, true. Yeah. Just like if she at any point someone was like, oh, for real. But I mean, that's not true for everyone. Not everyone has like ever interacts with someone who is the identity that they're encountering. Um, yeah. Or they don't until it's like much later in life and you really just have to hold on and hope that you might <laughs> or that you're that, that person for somebody else, you know, um, which is great. But I I am enjoying the monstrous feminine like series i think we're coming through a lot of similar tropes we're going to close it out next week um it's true you know i wanted to there's so many different monsters to talk about i think we did a really great job of kind of going and expanding outside of the norm <laughs> like having the mermaid true. conversation like i wanted like a silky conversation um or if we if we weren't doing monsters feminine we could do that uh mermaid boy film uh, the 13th year or whatever. I do like remember Disney. that. Yeah. And he became a mer- mer- person. And I remember that. And I thought that was very cute. Uh, Cause he was like, I can't be a mermaid. That's for girls. And I was like, no. <laughs> remember gender? <laughs> no, <norm? but. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remember? Um, so I don't know, maybe one day, but if you have seen a uh, Monstrous Femme film that we have not covered and that you think would be really interesting uh, to be covered or you want to share with us, if there's a book or anything um, that you want to share with us, please let us know. You can yeah. um, shoot us an email at thegoolsnextdoor@gmail.com. You can also follow us on all our social media platforms. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube and yeah. watch us also on Spotify, all kinds of ways. And uh, remember to like and subscribe. Leave a comment if you're on Apple Podcasts. Um, we would that love means to a lot. Hear from you. <laughs> yeah, it means so much to us. And um, stay tuned. We are coming up on episode 200. It is happening. That's crazy. We're so close. We're, that this is, is 195. Bonkers. That's bonkers. I also would like to know if other people watch this film and are like, I thought it was a totally different time. Yeah. I think that's fun. I feel like. It would just be really cool to have someone be like, whoa, this is like an entirely different perspective that you don't have. And I was like, what? Yeah. I it's love my that favorite game. thing to read. Yeah. Comment on it. So I'll say, I agree, but also. And then I'm like, oh my God, if I had this context, maybe I would have also picked up on that. Yeah. That I get lens. that a lot too. Yeah. Um, yeah. We always value comments and <laughs> replies, <laughs> even if we don't agree with them. Uh, <laughs> they're nothing comments where I'm just like, mm, no. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes they're pretty <laughs> so like, comments. what's happening? What's, yeah, like, what's what happening? Are you, what is that? What are you doing? Um, thank you for watching anyway. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. So we're going to finish out um, the Monsters Femme. Then we're going to do some fun things for 
celebrating 200 episodes and then we're going to get into a whole new series which will be really fun yeah. um and we're a we'll have some old. guests and things and yeah we'll be doing that for a while now and don't get married delete your kids or your kids will become mermaids um, and then they'll eat your pet fish yeah but hopefully you like notice that your kids are mermaid instead of doing what these parents did which is just like yeah, just not know I it was just a lot of neglect. <laughs> I would like to think I would know if my daughter was becoming a mermaid. Yeah. I, I See, 90% of my reflection on my life is like, someone should have known yeah. a thing. Any yeah. of the things. Any of the list, the long list of things is like, there are so many people that just like witnessed me. And did not realize anything, or tell, or they knew, and they were like, "I'm going to make a note of that." Never mention it. Yeah. Also, it's like the world doesn't revolve around me, so um, (laughs) I get it. I get it on both ends. It's really fun. Uh, But yeah, like hopefully, you know, if your kid is turning into a mermaid, and also it's like if you're not a mermaid and your kid turns into a mermaid, it's like how how does that even happen? But also, like you need to protect them and be nice to them and notice that it's happening so that you're there for them, even if you don't understand. Learn about it figure out how to yeah. be an ally to mermaids. Just like care. Yeah. And like if your kid is eating fish, eating your pet fish, like why wouldn't there be more conversation? Yeah. It's yeah. so weird to me that there wasn't. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Why didn't It's you just like lots of concerning behaviors and it's like there's she needs some therapy. Areas. And they yeah. did say that. They did say that to be fair. They were like you need to go back to therapy. Yeah, but then, like, didn't do it. They didn't commit. Yeah, yeah. they were like... I don't know. But it's, like, also, it's, like, I get both ends of the doctor thing, too, because it's, like, there are things that parents maybe shouldn't be told if that space is not safe for that child. Yeah, uh, and those parents definitely didn't give us any... Indication that they would be a safe space for that kind of stuff. Um, So I get both ends. Either way, talk about your kids. And if you have kids, like, recognize them as who they are. And be accountable to your babies. I love them. Okay. Yeah. Those words of wisdom from the ghouls. Yeah. Love your babies. Yeah. Don't let them get eat. Yeah. Even if you don't understand, try. Yeah. (laughs) Just like bare minimum effort. Um. (laughs) Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.